0: I need to be the better me I can be in every single way. My father, when I was a kid, he would tell me if something's worth doing, then it's worth doing good. Excellence is about spin. And excellence is a requirement for
1: culture. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, I meet with Mariev Bouchmanado, one of the most relaxed and well spoken athletes I've had the opportunity to talk to so far. Mariev is a two time Olympian and Commonwealth champion weightlifter. During her whole career, she managed to train like crazy to be among the best weightlifters in the world while studying and keeping an active social life. It is hard to grasp how she managed to keep such a balance in her life. After retiring from weightlifting, she became a doctor and also worked in a detention center. Even though marie likes her out-of-the-spotlight lifestyle, she deserves to be recognized as an amazing athlete and person, and she will be an inspiration to all the listeners. Interestingly, weightlifting actually wasn't Mariev's first choice for sports.
0: I started weightlifting as a supplemental training for cross country that I was doing back in the days, and I was also sprinting and uh, shot putting, uh, so mainly track and fields. And my coach at the time told me to try out weightlifting in, in order to improve my uh, power and uh, explosion. So I just showed up, I had no clue what weightlifting meant, so I just tried it, loved it, Uh, and within a few weeks I was already catching up on the technique and realizing I was quite good at it, so I eventually (laughs) let go of the track and field and focused mainly on the weightlifting at that point.
1: Okay, how old were you at that time? I was 15. Okay, 15 and you were based here?
0: Yeah, on the south shore of Montreal.
1: Okay. Okay. Awesome. So uh, you were in track and field. What, or what level, I would say, regional or were you 15? You don't necessarily have like, many competitions yet. Where I, were you at this point?
0: I was um, provincial level back in, the, back in the days, like good provincial, but not quite as good as I could uh, do national championships. Uh, but it was junior level, so juvenile. I'm not sure what it is in English, yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> for the for the age group. Uh, so I was I was doing okay. I wasn't great at it, but I was good at it.
1: Okay, so you start weightlifting. You kind of learn what it is. You kind of see that you're good at it. Um, What's kind of what's next in your memory of you know start starting competing I guess at some point at whatever again juvenile or regional level mm-hmm. and is there a moment where you realize that it could be more than a hobby and that you could you know bring it to the next level and and get within the best of the world?
0: Mm-hmm. I was going with the flow back then, so I was just showing up for training two or three times a week, uh, and at the end of the I was doing that at, in high school, so. I would weightlift uh, in the morning before school for about an hour, and a, an hour and a half, three times a week. And towards the end of the year, I participated to provincial championship for my age group, which I finished second, uh, and I was off for the whole summer that, that year, and I started again the next fall, and at the end of that second year, I actually qualified for national championships, senior national championships, which is very unusual for a 16-year-old. It's pretty quick, right? After a year-ish or two years? A year-ish of kind of training, maybe four hours a week. So that was a very quick progression. And at that point I said, okay, well, I'm having fun. I can maybe travel with that sport. Um, I think I want to invest more time and efforts in it. So that summer I started training much more intensely and, uh, throughout my years in Cjeps, that's when I really started working out as a very focused athlete on, on, on weightlifting. And I let go at that point of all the other sports that I was doing at the time.
1: Okay. So you kept practicing other sports while you were kind of you know, getting better and, and qualifying for other, uh, other competitions.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I kept on doing track and field until the end of my high school. So towards the same times that I, that I qualified for national championships in weightlifting, I was also playing soccer. So I would play outdoors in the summer, indoors in the winter, which I stopped uh, when I graduated from high school, just in order to prevent injuries. And uh, I was skiing, I was doing some uh, alpine skiing, uh, but that was mostly recreational.
1: Okay, so were your uh, days 36 hours or something? How do you combine study? Were you have like a 36-hour day instead of 24? How did you combine like so many sports? <laughs> you're a student, and we'll get into that later, I guess, in the discussion. You now have, you're a doctor now, so you probably were a good student. What type of student were you and how were you combining all these uh I would say fun activities and also you know stay, staying staying uh, staying in school.
0: Yeah, I was I was very focused on what I was doing, so whenever I I love something, I I can't help but put everything in in it. So I would be training early before school in weightlifting when I was in high school and in my last year of high school I was also training at night uh, very often. So I would train maybe 5 times a week, 5 times about an hour and a half two hours uh, which for a high school student is a lot mm-hmm. and I was also playing soccer and going skiing once in a while So, but I was a good student so I, I did all my homeworks but it, it wasn't very hard for me at that point point. and we did not have any kind of arrangements uh, in my high school for athletes so I had just a regular high school schedule when I got in CGEP I chose to do my CJEP part time so that I could put more time and efforts okay. in weightlifting.
1: Okay, so that makes more sense. At some <laughs> point, you were, I guess, putting weightlifting before the rest and my mother would keeping... have killed me. Okay,
0: <laughs> but weightlifting has never been before my studies, but I took things slower in order to maintain very good grades. Okay, and uh, when I got to uh, the university, I I went into med school right after JEP and that was impossible uh, schedule accommodations were not possible at the university that I chose to go to so I was doing a regular med school student schedule plus the weightlifting that was at that point maybe 12 hours a week so that was hard yeah
1: <laughs> and at which point did you start traveling for weightlifting which I guess gets even more complicated to study at the same time with you know time difference and just you know jet lag in general mm. um, yeah at which point did weightlifting really took over and you kind of probably either left studies a bit on the side or did you always have studies in the background? I was always studying. I
0: I stopped my studies twice. Uh, well actually once I stopped it in 2011 in order to prepare for the Olympic games. And I was already, already a medical intern at that point. And I stopped my studies at the end of my studies. So I, I didn't start working right away after I, I finished my medical studies uh, in order to train for the second Olympic games. But that's the only, the, the only two times that I actually stopped my studies for weightlifting. I started traveling for my first national championship uh, at the end of high school. So I, that was my first outside of Quebec event. And my first outside of Canada event was in the next fall. I went to Dominican Republic for my first world senior championships.
1: Okay. So at this point, you know, that, you know, weightlifting is a big part of your life that you can make it to the top and you're still pretty young at that point. Is there yeah, I was a moment? 17. <laughs> yeah. Is there a moment when you feel you missed out on, on some of the, you know, basic stuff that a 17 year old would do you know partying seeing friends going out because you know studying plus traveling plus training plus competing I mean takes a full I mean full schedule right you don't really have time for more is that something you felt you missed out on or were you just so focused that you didn't feel it was for you to just you know chill out and go out and uh, you know meet new people and, and make friends because it also takes time
0: I have amazing friends um, the friends I have right now today, as I'm 34 years old, are the same friends that I had when I was in high school. We just were a very close group, and they were extremely understanding. Um, and they are not athletes in any in any kind of way, uh, but they were very understanding and supporting of me. So whenever I was available, they I would just join them, and whenever I wasn't available, they didn't start... Uh, not inviting me. Mm-hmm. I would keep receiving invitations okay. all the time and it would be for me to decide, is it reasonable to go or not, uh, according to my studies and uh, my my training. And did I miss out on much? I think a little bit. Um, do I regret it? Not at all, because I was never someone who liked going out that much. I like sitting down with my friends and talking. Um, So that that I missed a little bit because it wouldn't happen as often as I would have liked, but going to bars is not my thing. Okay.
1: And so you were, you said your close group of friends was, you know, very supportive. Uh, Was your family also like behind you, you said your mom would never accept that you, you know, put weightlifting before studying. How was your family about your, you know, your high level and, you know, being an athlete versus studying and were you, were they supportive and if yes, you know, were they, you know, uh, with you when you were traveling or, you know, uh, supporting you, uh, you know, to the top?
0: Yeah, um, my family, I'm so grateful for the family that I have, have always been extremely supportive as well. For my parents, it was paramount that I focus on my studies and as long as I would be able to keep good grades, they would fully support me in whatever project I had. The, the funny fact is when I started weightlifting and I asked my mom to buy me weightlifting shoes, which are not very expensive. it's a little bit yeah. under a hundred dollars back yeah. then, she was like, "That's another passion that you have because i was I was always trying new stuff and she was like, "Are you sure this this is this is worth it? Are you going to do this for more than six months?" And I was like, nah, I think I'm gonna do this for more than six months. <laughs> yeah, I think I should have shoes." <laughs>
1: that's amazing uh yeah and when you start traveling and competing at you know international level i guess she was okay or you yeah yeah, yeah. More she, she on, like, did equipment. not hesitate
0: at all um they did not follow me on many events they my my mom and my dad came to both olympic games um and my dad came to a few national championships that were outside of quebec and they would definitely come to every inside of Quebec competition but going outside of Canada would be too expensive and I have a a little sister who's a bit younger than I and she couldn't miss school all the time so they were staying with her mainly.
1: Okay perfect so rewinding just a bit just to contextualize um can you like give a you know one-on-one course of what weightlifting is just basic rules uh you know the different weight categories and stuff like that just so that we can get into a bit a Mm -hmm. few questions that you know we would need that context
0: Mm -hmm. perfect so first thing i think is important for people to realize that weightlifting uh, fitness and just weight training and powerlifting are all different sports so weightlifting is composed of two competition uh, exercises which are the snatch and the clean and jerk Uh, everything else so bench press back squat deadlift we use that as a training component but we don't compete with that strongman is an entirely different sport as well so we don't lift rocks or wood or stuff we actually use uh, barbell weights a little bit like what people would see people do in crossfit but we try to do maximum effort once. So we, everyone does three snatches and three clean and jerks, and we keep the best results of both. We add it up and that's a total, and that's how you rank athletes between, uh, so that's how you can differentiate if someone's better than the other. And also there is weight categories. So uh, people are, uh, Separated in weight classes. Okay.
1: Um, so I guess the heavier the person, the heavier you expect the result to be. Yep. <laughs> give or take. Um, and so you say it's three tries per, um, per category, I would say.
0: Uh, per, per movement.
1: Per movement. And you add up the, the weight that you lifted on each... Try is that correct?
0: No, we add the the best result for the snatch and the best ah, okay. result for the clean and jerk. So, for example, if you do 100 and then 105 and then you miss on 110, you're going to keep 105. Okay. And the same for the clean and jerk. Okay,
1: so it's like pole vault or long distance jump. So you keep basically the best result you succeeded at, and then yeah. you add it up with the other. Uh,
0: uh, but contrarily to pole vaulting. Uh, you don't keep adding weight okay. until you fail. Okay, you so just, just really- you have to choose wisely what okay. you're, you're attempting.
1: Okay. So we just, would you usually start with the lowest that you know you will, you will uh, succeed at, and then you increase by whatever, five pounds or five kilograms, or do you sometimes try the heaviest at the first try because you're whatever, at the best, uh, you know, shape and you're not tired? One of
0: the rules is that you can never go down in weight. Oh, okay. So if you try something that you're not able to do, you're probably going to be disqualified for missing out on your three attempts so you're better off starting with something that you you're pretty sure that you can try that that, that you're going to uh to succeed at but if you're going too low you have something that you have but it's it's probably not going to help you rank Mm -hmm. the way you want so the strategy is very important that's that's mainly the job of the coach uh, to choose the the weights and the coaches are going to look at what the competition is doing and uh, choose the weight according to how the athlete is performing on that day and also what uh, previous uh, things they've done in training in previous competitions.
1: Okay, so what st- type of strength or qualities do you need as a weightlifter? I mean, pure power, but is it like you know, a knee or a leg work? Is it the upper part of your body what what really matters and what what makes a great weightlifter or do every does every single weightlifter has his own you know strength and a couple of weaknesses how to yeah what does it take to yeah, be a weightlifter yeah you see
0: you see different styles of weightlifting and there are different cultures of weightlifting as well depending on where the the athlete has been training and also the morphology of the athlete is going to influence greatly his or her technique um, usually you need Great basic strength, you need speed, and um, you need to be strong overall because you're going to be lifting weights overhead. So, if you have one part of your body that's not strong, that's the, weakened, the weakest link, it's going to, to let go. The muscles that need to be the strongest are the back and the legs, that's, that's where all the effort goes. So, the upper body needs to be able to stabilize the weight. Um, but it's not as paramount as legs and back.
1: Okay. Uh, so how how would you train? Do you go, I guess is it mostly a gym uh, based training? Um, all, everything you mentioned is what we, we are used to uh, to training for in the gym. But you have other. Did did you need to go like you bike? Do you run? to, you know, get better at, no, you, you make a big no, no with your head. So <laughs> it's mostly, uh, being a gym rat in a way <laughs> and, uh, and getting better at every single part of your body.
0: Yeah. So you need, uh, very, a lot of strength. You need a lot of technique because, uh, a lot of people imagine that weightlifting is mainly a brute strength, brute strength, uh, sport, except you need perfect technique in order to bring a weight over your head. Otherwise you're going to end up injured or you're just going to fail too often. And with only three attempts to succeed at your lifts, you really want to have a technique that's good more than 95% of the Mm -hmm. time. Um, so a lot of work in the gym on technique, a lot of work with strength, more specifically, um, weightlifters will work a lot also on their mobility. Uh, because if you've seen Im- images mm-hmm. of uh, weightlifters you see that they do very deep squats that they need a lot of shoulder mobility you need a lot of um, cervical uh, thoracic and lumbar mobility as well in order to make sure that you're moving correctly and there is also a lot of uh, core strength that we're that we're doing
1: so what were what was i would say your main uh, strength and your main weakness that you know made you Different, I would say in the crowd or in, in, the, in the competitions?
0: I'd say I was quite, I was pretty balanced. I was very strong. That was the first thing that appeared that I have a very good basic strength. I remember I was 15 years old and after three or four times that I was deadlifting, I was already doing 80 kilos. So that's for, for a 15 year old girl, yeah. that's a lot of weight uh to be moving around. Uh, so that was always something that I was good at. I worked very, very, very hard on my technique. And towards the end of my career, I think I had a very good technique, excellent technique, I, w- I would say. And I also had a very good um, proprioception. I'm not sure that word exists in English, uh, okay. but Explain. body awareness. <laughs> okay. So being able to move around in space and know where you are is going to help you have a precise movement and I have worked a lot without direct supervision from a coach so I needed to be able to see myself in space in order to correct my technique uh, so that's something that I worked very hard on during my career
1: okay so that was one of, of the question I want to ask is how big was your crew I would say around you, you said you trained a lot without a coach or yeah, how how are you perfecting your uh, you know your technique, your body, your strength, everything? Did you and is the sport known to be more of a solitary sport, or do you have you know a, a physiotherapist, a coach, a mental coach, uh, like all of this? Uh,
0: as a beginner weightlifter, I only had a coach and my training partners, of course. So it's not solitary in the sense that we mostly train in groups usually. Because the coach wants to see all the athletes, mm-hmm. and they there is no, there are only a very few coaches in Quebec who actually are paid for their job. Okay, most coaches uh, in Canada are uh, doing voluntary work. <laughs> Even people who go to the Olympic Games. So that's that's very amazing. My the coach who was with me I, at both of my Olympic games. His actual job is to be a cattle farmer
1: that's crazy
0: that's that's what he does to 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 be able to eat and uh, and live so but still he was with me at uh, both olympic games and we worked uh, for a very long time together so that was the close team and i have been injured a lot during my career so i had also very often a physiotherapist who was working closely with us Um, And towards the end, I started doing a lot of um, mental coaching uh, with a psychologist, a lot. Not that much, but a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, So in weightlifting, it seems like your body is really, well, I'd say 90% of the job. But, you know, like you said, you count on every single part of your body. How did you train your body except from the gym itself and strengthening every single part? How did you work on your body, on your daily life, like sleep, like um, uh, nutrition and all that to make it, I mean, you want your body to be a machine at this mm. point, uh, to be among the best in a sport that's so physical. So yeah, what were your, your uh, I would say, tips or how did you, you know, live your daily life when you were not at the gym to keep that, uh, that progression and, and stay in health?
0: Yeah, diet was a very important weightlifting for two reasons. There, you need to have all the energy uh, possible for the training, but also there is also the weight, body weight component to the, so the, you don't want to start gaining weight because otherwise you're going to have to lose it before the competition and losing weight before a competition sometimes can be pretty easy and sometimes it can make you lose a lot of uh, strength as well. So the weight needs to be managed very closely. I forgot to tell you before, but I also had a nutritionist that was uh, that was helping me out with that. Um, So I had like food, food plans and uh, I just follow it. I was for a very long time eating to perform, not much for pleasure. Um, Like I've pretty much not drank any alcohol for a long time i've never done any drugs i've never smoked in a cigarette like there are a lot of things that that you do because because of performance um and i think i forgot the other part of your question oh sleep um so sleep i've always been very bad at managing my my sleep that's not one of my strengths and i think i would probably have benefited from sleeping more uh but i was just my instinct tells me that sleep is unnecessary, <laughs> which is false. Um, so I would tend to do everything that needs to be done um, in quotation marks. So studies and training and stretching and eating and uh, preparing food and everything would, would go first before sleep. And uh, I've, I have a child now who is uh, one and a half years old and now I'm realizing how much sleep <laughs> is is so important just to be able to function on a daily, basic and, daily basis and I'm learning today uh, to be a better sleeper.
1: Okay so because yeah, now we see a lot of athletes I'm thinking LeBron James who says he sleeps you know, nine ten hours a night mm. or a day uh, just because you work on your body on your muscles so much and you need them to just do nothing for some time and just regenerate. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's something that could have made a difference or maybe so. reach yeah. another level maybe? And
0: also injury prevention, because if you're tired, uh, the focus is mm-hmm. not going to be as good. Uh, the proprioception is not going to be as good. Uh, so your injury risks greatly increases. Uh, and yeah, definitely for performance, sleep is just so important.
1: Okay. Okay, interesting. A side question that is kind of spinning in my head, and I didn't take a note of this one. What are the big nations in weightlifting? Because you said, depending on on where the weightlifter is from, they have different techniques and Mm. all that. Is there like Eastern Europe or is there a specific region? Yeah, Eastern
0: Europe, they're very big. Uh, China, North Korea are very big in weightlifting. And a lot of Asian countries are are very, very good. You're going to have Thailand, Thailand, who is uh having a lot of very good athletes there are a lot of south american countries who are uh pretty good i'm thinking colombia venezuela um cuba and we've had a few very good women from canada we had a gold medalist last summer there was a gold medalist in 2012 so uh, i think canada is uh actually starting to to come out as a very good nation in weightlifting but i can't say that we have that much of a tradition of winning mm-hmm. everything in weightlifting yeah. <laughs>
1: okay yeah it's a long process to uh, yeah. get people used to and it's not a very famous sport in a way <laughs> there are i mean i watch weightlifting like everybody else i would say 95 percent of the people watch when they you know just olympic games. at the olympic <laughs> games and other than that you don't really you know find information uh, so yeah how Uh, How are people recruited? I would say to do weightlifting. You were because you were initially trying to improve on uh, on track and field. Uh, Is there any you know federation in Canada, or is there is there a like a bigger power pushing to get more athletes, uh, men and women, in weightlifting, or is it just it just happened because you know there was you when there were a couple of other uh, you know high level athletes that made it to the top, but it was just you know out of uh, thin air, or is there really an effort in Canada to? uh, to make that happen
0: uh, we do have a canadian fer- federation there are provincial uh, federations as well and recruitment mostly happens province by province so the national federation is organizing everything administratively but uh, all the recruitment is mainly done uh, in the provinces so I can't talk really about what's going on in other provinces I don't know okay. how they work as well uh, as in Quebec but in Quebec the the Federation tries to have clubs in every region um, and the clubs are doing some of the recruitment by going in school and explaining what weightlifting is and inviting people to try out that sport uh, but from what I've observed uh, other Quebecers who start weightlifting, usually from come from a different sport. Not that many people come to weightlifting specifically for weightlifting. Mm-hmm. You have a few of them and the kids that have started weightlifting for the sake of weightlifting, usually they, they start that after the Olympic Games because they've seen people perform and they're yeah. amazed at what they saw, they saw and they want to do it themselves. That's what, that's what I can tell okay.
1: you. Okay, perfect. So going back to your career before moving on to other subjects that are less sports related I would say um what was in your day-to-day I would say your silver silver lining or the thing that was that you were chasing I would say the Olympics probably world championships or was it more general what was you know what made you wake up in the morning sport wise
0: I need to be the better me I can be in every single way that's um my father when i was a kid he would tell me if something's worth doing then it's worth doing good um and i've always kept on that uh that motto it's i think it's a very descriptive of how i live my life um so i would get up in the morning and just look at my schedule what do i have today to be a better me and that would include studies, that would include being a good human, uh, being interested in the environment, but also being as good an athlete as I can be. Um, so I would just plan out my my stuff.
1: Okay. Um, and so what was your day-to-day, you mentioned your, your agenda, was it hitting the gym twice a day, seven days a week, uh, four hours per session? How How was your agenda like? What was a typical day if I, was, when you were not, no. if I
0: was in school, I would make sure that I have time to study every single day. And I would work out usually five to six times a week. So not more than once a day. And I would usually work out around three hours a time. So at the end of the week, you'd have between 15 and 18 hours of gym I would be doing some stretching and some uh, core at home. If for the few years that I was training full-time and I was not studying at the same time, I would train much more, um, usually around 10 times a week. And these would be a little bit shorter sessions. So I would do maybe two and a half hours at a time. Uh, so that would amount to quite a bit of gym work. Yeah, I think that's, that sums it. Okay, so...
1: I go to the gym and whatever it's maybe once a week <laughs> for an hour and a half and I'm kind of bored just because of I don't know it I like more exterior say how were you uh feeling the time of course you're, you're doing the effort itself but were you a more of a music listener a podcast listener or just a chit-chatting with the people around you
0: I've always um thought of my training as a meditation okay and I don't think that's a very common approach, even in high-level athletes. I think a lot of people uh, want to make sure that they're having conversation or they love music; they're going to listen to music. If I was with other people, I would chat a little bit, but I would ma- mainly focus on what I was doing, and um, we would probably be listening to music. But for the few years that I trained on my own, I was. Training in the Hawaiian La Randa, uh, okay. during my uh, medical residency. And I would be working crazy hours. Like I'd be in the clinic at 7 a.m. I'd be out of the clinic at 7 p.m. I'd go home, eat, and then be in the gym maybe around 8, 9 p.m. until midnight. Uh, and I would do that in silence. No radio, no music. I just, I'd be alone in the gym. It was in an, an underground gym. No kind of windows, nothing. Just me and the weights. And I just close wow. my eyes in between that, my sets and be there.
1: It seems pretty unique, right? Oh, or maybe because I'm seeing other types it's, of people at the gym, but it's everybody atypical, has this. completely
0: okay. atypical. I don't. I've never seen anyone do that before. But that's. I would get out of the gym just so relaxed and focused and i would have had done what i wanted okay interesting
1: so uh <laughs> last i'd say very sport oriented question what were according to you the what was the pinnacle the best moment of your career and what was the moment you think or you felt you hit rock bottom and you were, and you were like oh that's that's enough i'm out
0: um pinnacle 2014 it was uh, on that summer. It was uh, a little bit before summer. It was the Commonwealth Games. And that's when I hit my best numbers. Uh, so I snatched 100. And now I'm going to make a mistake. I'm never sure if I did 110 or 111. You're going to have to okay. check that. Please correct me. Oh, <laughs> I'll I won't um, be able to
1: check now. But okay. okay. How, how can when we was forget it? I forget that? You said 2014? Yeah,
0: 2014. Uh, Commonwealth Games in Glasgow I think I did 110 I'm pretty sure I did 110 141
1: Uh, it says gold oh it says in the weight category it doesn't say uh, (laughs) I'm on the Olympics Olympic.ca website doesn't mention it says which category you
0: were in but not how much you did in the 75s in the 75s yeah Yeah. so I snatched around 110 kilos 110 kilos and clean and jerked 141 kilos I succeeded at my six attempts so three snatches three clean and jerks and it was a very close battle that is available on YouTube Uh, if people are interested I would highly recommend uh, watching the clean and jerk because it's very uh, emotionally intense okay and people are always surprised when they when they watch weightlifting for the first time they they think it's going to be boring, but there is so mm-hmm. much um, strategy going on and you see whatever is going on in the background that you don't usually see. It's okay. uh, it's very interesting. So I would definitely recommend people uh, to go and watch that. We'll, uh,
1: we'll put a link. I'll find it and I'll put the link in the in the description.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so that was just the perfect days. Planets uh, were aligned, if you can say. Because dieting had been good, I was at the top of my uh, physical capacities. I was focused. I was rested. I had my coach with me. And I had that battle with that uh, opponent. And we were just, trying to do that psychological game to do okay i'm going to do just a little bit more than you and she would be doing just a little bit okay. more than i and she would be yelling to try to impress and be be more uh, get getting your head in a yeah way. exactly but still i was able to just keep my focus be in the flow do my thing and at the end i came out with gold and it was just such an amazing experience And after that, I had a series of very important injuries. Uh, I hurt my elbow, I hurt my knee, I hurt my back repetitively. So my performances started decreasing more and more and more as uh, time went by. And I was trying so hard to qualify for the 2016 Olympic Games. And at some point, I thought it wouldn't happen just because I was so injured so getting my ticket to the olympic games was a relief in the spring of 2016 and my performance at the games was horrible that was be the, the lowest moment of my career i That's think the, yeah that day the at the olympic yeah. games i just i nothing worked i was stressed i i thought i had a shot for maybe a medal but at the end of the day, you look at the numbers and I really wasn't there. My mind wasn't there. My body wasn't there. And I, and I had just struggled so much throughout the whole process that I was disgusted with everything weightlifting. Right. I just took a break for a few months after that. Um, and, I, and I just went on with my life for a few months and then I started missing it again. So mm-hmm. I came back. Uh, qualified for a few more competitions but my injuries were just nothing would heal completely after that and in uh, 2018 I did my last world championships in uh, Turkmenistan okay and that was the last uh, competition that I've done internationally I decided to retire after that my coach I remember clearly he he told me that was end of November and beginning of December, that competition. And he told me, just take some time off. We'll talk again in 2019. If you feel like weightlifting at that point, I'll be very happy to be there for you. But don't do it if you don't feel like it. Just, just think about your priorities. And my father, was, uh, my father died in 2018. So I th- that was a very rough okay. year uh, in general. So I think I needed to just focus on my life and know who I was more uh, without being a weightlifter. End of 2019, I came back to weightlifting because I was just missing it so much. And I actually qualified uh, for Pan American Championships. And then COVID hit... And then everything was closed. I didn't have access to gyms and stuff. And I was very busy with work as a physician uh, during the pandemic. So there was just a lot of things going on. So I just let go of weightlifting at that point. I did start again while I was pregnant, <laughs> which is probably not the best moment to start weightlifting. And after my kid was born, she was just, I was. of the time with her and I didn't have any interest anymore uh, in putting so many hours for unknown results and knowing that I would never go back to what I have been. Mm -hmm. I just didn't see the interest anymore.
1: Yeah. So you, you didn't have a specific event when you said, hey, this is my last event. You kind of, you know, decreased... Uh, your your competitions and all that until you felt after your, your baby was born that mm. there was no point and no uh, you know no interest I guess in in getting back to it. When I decided
0: to come back to weightlifting uh, after the 2016 Olympic Games, it was maybe October or something like that. I said, okay, I'm going to do this as long as it's fun. I never again want to cry on a stage. I never again want to cry in training. I want to be there with a smile and the second that I'm not having fun, I'm going to quit. So every event that I participated to at that point was just bonus. Okay. So everyone was maybe last my last one. Uh, this is maybe the last time that I'm going on a stage. Better be fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Um, so you retire officially 2020-ish. Um, yeah. say around COVID. Um well, now, no no need to tease your doctor. <laughs> uh, you, as you mentioned at the beginning, you kept, I mean, you studied, you didn't never quit studying. Um, so how was this transition? And you know, when did you get your PhD, I guess? And yeah, how did you, because it takes years and years of full time studying to <laughs> get, become a doctor, I would say. Mm. Um, yeah, how did you manage that? And let's just focus on the non-weight Non-weight lifting stuff. Okay, perfect. Uh, of it.
0: So just first off, um, being a physician, it's not a PhD. It's a medical doctor. So okay. it's uh, considered a um, very, very big back that you end up okay. with MD at the end. So a medical doctor. Butchner but it's not a PhD. Extra yeah. Butch- okay, okay. yeah. So it's 200 university credits, but it's not per se a PhD. Okay. Um, so... I started my medical training as soon as I finished CJP, and I kept on doing regular paced training for, for the physician part I'm, I'm, I'm talking about until the preparation for the game. So until 2011, the first ones. So yeah, that was just pretty intense. And I finished, I got my MD, so a medical doctor, In 2013, I did my two years family practice training in 2013 through to 2015. And then I was off for some time uh, for the games again, but my training was done and I started working in Ontario. Uh, We moved from Quebec to Ontario, my my boyfriend and I, because he was studying at Western University in London. Um, so we both settled there for his master's and he actually did a PhD in, uh, ethics, sports ethics. Oh, wow. So, uh, he was a weightlifter as well. Uh, And that's what got him interested in, uh, um, feminist issues and anti-doping issues. So he studied, uh, in Western university and I settled with him in London, Ontario, where I worked in a detention center.
1: Wow, I have a n- big note in bold, <laughs> underline like detention center, question mark, question mark, exclamation mark. So I wanted to know more <laughs> about that.
0: So we st- I started that in 2017 and I kept working there until 2020 when I moved back in Quebec. When he was almost done with his studies and because of COVID, he was doing everything uh, remote. So we, we could do mm-hmm. it from Quebec. Um, yeah, detention center, that was not... Something that I planned in my career. I did not train specifically to work in a detention center, um, but when I moved to Ontario, I was just looking at cool jobs that I wanted to do. I had my general practice training, and I had enough training to work in a detention center, or so I thought. Um, I didn't realize uh, how bad uh, substance use—how not how bad, but how intense substance use issues are in carceral settings and I did not have any training in substance use uh, or misuse so I actually had to train myself very quickly um, in that regard and it was kind of getting information here and there and it wasn't very structured uh, training so when we moved back to Quebec I did one year of training specifically in addictions shim and um, that was a very, very fun year. I learned so much uh, during that year, uh, twenty 2020, twenty until twenty twenty one. So going back to school at that point was a uh, very interesting, and I think that the working in the det- in the detention center helped me realize how, first of all, how lucky I am as a person. Because, I mean, people who are incarcerated... I was working with people who were pending their trial so I cannot say that they had committed crimes Mm -hmm. they were not they were accused but they were not uh, uh convicted yet so but people who are accused of crimes and people who are convicted um most of them if you listen to their stories you realize how bad a start they had and very often a lot of people end up in jails because of their substance use or because of the maladaptations that they have. Uh, so they're, they're going to act violently because, because that's how they learn to deal with their problems. And that's not appropriate. And that's why prisons exist and, and, and everything. So it's not appropriate to act violently. But a lot of people end up in jails because, because they are sick. So working in that setting just made me realize how lucky i am and how much we can help uh these people stay out of jail just by being healthy uh so that really was a big motivator for me to work there
1: and what was your role exactly there were you the doctor on site yeah i was a family physician there
0: so i would uh i was on call 24 7. wow uh i think i was off for about a month during these three years (laughs) uh, from my calls. I, and I was there a few days a week and I would see patients for their chronic health diseases, but also for acute diseases. So someone who had punched a wall who would come in with a hand fracture. I yeah. needed to have a look at it. Uh, I was doing some just chronic medical health follow-up for diabetes, hypertension. Uh, I would do some, a lot of infectious diseases work. So abscesses, uh, cellulitis, uh, hep C, HIV, uh, a lot of very sick people in jails. Mm -hmm.
1: And did you mention to them or did they know know, what you've done before that you were... People talk. Yeah, well, I (laughs) guess, and, and... did it have do you think it had an impact on first of all the way they kind of you know saw you oh you're not most definitely the doctor you also you know did other stuff you were a champion in a very you know specific sport and were you on your end using some of what you've learned on this in the sport side of your life to you know better treat your your patients or anything
0: so People talk. So the nurses would say, hey, do you know your doctor is a weightlifter? And weightlifting is seen for... uh, People are impressed by weightlifting because when people are incarcerated, they don't have anything to do else than training. So they're going to be lifting weights and stuff. So they know a little bit about lifting weights, Uh, but they don't know about weightlifting. And these are two different things, but they would be very impressed that a woman... Uh, would be actually a weightlifting champion. Uh, And I think that really helped me have their respect. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, being a woman, I think a lot of people are going to think that might be harder to work in a carceral setting as a woman but was it's that, that exactly a m- fully the
1: 100% men uh detention center. Uh was mainly it? Ma- okay. mainly
0: men. We had uh, I think 30 women over okay. over 300 okay, d- yeah. people. So a few women and they were a uh, different uh aisle Um but yeah, so a lot of people are going to think I think that being a woman might be harder to work in that setting but on the contrary a lot of um i would see how they would behave with me versus other female nurses versus male nurses and the behavior was completely different i would just they would be just more respectful because hurting a woman that can put them in trouble yeah
1: yeah, and maybe the the respect and they kind of maybe felt a bond, like you said, you don't have much you can do in a, in a detention center. So probably, you know, uh, lifting weight <laughs> was one of their main hobby. So they kind of felt a connection and that you were practicing this at the top level, probably for them, you know, you earn their, their respect
0: mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I wasn't just a doctor. I, yeah. I actually had like a personality maybe, mm-hmm. maybe to them a bit more than if I was just a doctor. Did I apply anything that I learned in weightlifting to my medical practice? I can't say much. Maybe like injury-related stuff, but not much more than that, Okay. unfortunately. Okay. That's kind of sad. No, no, no. Boring response. Um,
1: <laughs> and so you, you came back with your uh, husband to, um, to Quebec. Uh, so what now? What, what are you doing? And what's next for you?
0: So now I am working in a teaching unit. So, I'm teaching future family physicians how to be a family physician. And I am also just a general practitioner. And we're putting together an addictions clinic in the north of the island of Montreal. So, we're going to be seeing people who struggle with addiction and uh, hopefully help them a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, that's work-wise and uh, personally-wise as I was saying right now uh, a few minutes ago I have a kid now she's one and a half and she's just a bundle of joy so I'm taking care of her it takes up a lot of my free time Mm -hmm. but uh, it's just a pleasure to do so
1: awesome Um, so I'm going to quote something that I uh, that I read Um, it says quote she for you, (laughs) are known for your sportman-like attitude and for becoming an inspiration to so many up-and-coming athletes. Is that so? And are you still kind of involved in in the sport? You mentioned your relation to sports that wasn't the best, in a way, that you were disillusioned for some uh, various reasons. Yeah, are are you still involved in kind of giving back to the community or the sport itself or the people that helped you Hmm. get to the top?
0: Um. Not as much as I wish Uh, and it's mainly a matter of having the time to do that so I think when my my kid is a bit older uh, I don't know what's I don't know if I'm going to have more kids uh, yet but when I have a little bit more free time that's something that I want to do before she was born I was uh, still showing up to competitions and chatting with the kids that were doing weightlifting at the po- at that point, and see how I can help and motivate them. I try to make myself as available as I can for opportunities uh, about talking about sports and weightlifting in general, such as this one. Um, and I think that's uh, helpful for um, just making sport more accessible and for people to realize that you don't have to to be someone special to actually enjoy weightlifting Mm -hmm. or enjoy being active and I think anyone can benefit from physical activity whatever that physical activity is so that part I'm not disillusioned by you mentioned that I was a bit disillusioned by uh, the sport and it's mainly the sport politics that okay. I'm disillusioned by um, and also all the doping issues that have happened in weightlifting. So that, I mean, in 2012, just, just to give you an example, in 2012, I, I ended up eighth at the Olympic Games and there was the big scandal uh, a lot of athletes were put out of the competition and disqualified for doping. And today I'm now fifth at the 2012 Olympic Games. So I, by doing nothing, I just Gained crept three up steps. three ranks. And it's just so disappointing because if at that point I have, I had finished fifth, I would have had a lot of support from the National Federation and from the On The Podium program because i would have been considered someone who could win a medal in future olympic games but because i was eighth i wasn't considered Mm -hmm. someone who could win a medal and i think that would have made a difference but i was not able to get these uh these kind of uh, recognition because my performance was undermined by other people's doping Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's disappointing that's the part that i'm a bit disillusioned by
1: Okay, Other than that that makes sense. And yeah, because like you said, it this would spark more support, this would bu- spark more funding possibly, and this gets you to another level when mm. you don't have to stress about mm-hmm. whatever, the, the f- financial part of your, your sports and the
0: access, overall support of Federation. Yes, but Europe also capability. it's access to services, mm-hmm. like access to training camps, access to uh, support for travels, access mm-hmm. to physiotherapy access to nutrition and and all these kind of uh of things that i would need to pay out of pocket Mm -hmm. and i think it's okay to do that but if you're like you can't expect someone to be able that's the cat that you hear in the background i'm sorry about that (laughs) Um, you can't expect someone who needs to pay for everything and study at the same time and hopefully be able to have enough money to live and eat and pay for their competition but also perform at a level that that they're going to have a medal. the the system is taking the problem the the wrong way they're supporting people who are already at the top level mm-hmm. uh, but they should be supporting people who are going there who are headed there i think
1: yeah, well, definitely, there are I think two programs, right, on the podium, and there is like CanFund or something like that. I don't know that one. Um, well, yeah. So <laughs> the, uh, I have two tabs on my on my computer, and I'm I'm looking through them sometime. Uh, but yeah, like like you said, you, you need it's again it's like the chicken and egg problem. You need mm. result to get your funding, and you need funding if you want to get e- you know, get exactly. to the results. Well, so.
0: you don't absolutely need the funding, but no, it's but definitely it helpful.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's a bit broken. Yeah. I guess we won't solve this around this table, but uh, yeah, it, it nope. opens up in a whole other discussion yeah. that could be uh, you know room for another hour mm. of, of uh of discussing. Um so you have a call at three pm and it's two forty eight. So I'll give you time to uh drink a glass of water before uh taking that call. So I'm just gonna get to the I would say closing scripted question in a way. Go ahead. Um if you were to meet the ten year old or let's say 17-year-old uh, Mariev, when you first uh, weight-lifted, what would be the one advice you would give her?
0: Uh, sleep more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, we'll go back to it.
0: And uh, make sure you have fun. I think uh, perspective on what you're doing is influenced so much but h- by how f- much fun you're having. Mm-hmm. And when um, pleasure becomes duty, you lose something very important.
1: That's very powerful because <laughs> it, it applies to so many things. Yeah. To like an entrepreneurial project like this podcast is, and mm. yeah, removing the fun probably removes ninety percent of what you're doing it yeah. for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. um If you if this was to be a four by one hundred relay, and you had to pass the baton to someone that I should uh, uh, host on this podcast, who would that be? An any sports that you know? Yeah, any sports girls or guy i mean women or men yeah, ideally canadian <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um well i know many weightlifters who would be very interesting to talk to uh like the first one that comes to mind is um mocha who won uh, the gold medal at mm-hmm. the last olympic game so so she would definitely be uh someone very interesting to talk to and i think uh, her story is uh, extremely interesting as well so Uh, I definitely see her name. And then if I think of other sports, I, I have many people in mind, but one in particular, um, would be hard to pinpoint. Um,
1: We'll take it offline. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put yeah. too much pressure. i put you on the spot. So okay. at least, uh, Charon, you said, Maud Charon? Maud Charon. yeah, it's okay. I think uh, that's, that's one that name. would be a usually, very interesting talk. Uh, awesome. So I usually ask one name if you want to give a couple others. That's perfect. Um The last one is, so I'm a fan of sports. Like I mentioned before, we started recording. And with that podcast, I'm building the wall of fame at my apartment or at my cottage. It's not sure where it will be uh, displayed. So would you have any, uh uh, swag or any gear that you used to use for competition, whatever, it can be a glove, it can be a bib, it can be anything with a nice signature on it and I'll yeah. put it on my wall of fame. No problem. <laughs> awesome, we'll take it offline too. Um, cool, so where should our, uh, our listeners follow you? Because I remember the first you called me, not out of the blue, after I, I reached out to you and you said, you know, I'm, I'm not famous, is that okay for you? I'm like, yes, that's totally perfect. Uh, but still, if if people should follow you, um, would it be more on your post-career uh, endeavor or more on your medical endeavors or are you happy remaining private?
0: I'm, I'm sorry, I don't get the question.
1: Oh, where should people follow you um, if you want to be followed like people like Instagram? Oh, don't man. follow me. No, okay, I, I don't. <laughs> uh... It's rare. It's rare. But... No,
0: that's, uh, that's first of all, uninteresting. Uh, second I don't post anything okay um, so like my Instagram page I have not posted anything since I ended my career okay and on Facebook I post like furniture that I'm selling on okay. marketplace, <laughs> and that's about so it if people
1: <laughs> want to buy a table from marie I have then two then currently on sale <laughs> and
0: right, uh, I, I haven't had any news from anyone so uh, please go and check what my exactly marketplace are you
1: right here can you show uh, it to it's me? It's
0: in my... Uh, it's oh, you'll shoot sure uh, me because I'm yeah. buying stuff for the cottage right okay. now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe we have a deal. Um, awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Mariev. I wish you the best for your medical career, personal career um, uh, with your child. Uh, so amazing talking to you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much. But I'd say, don't follow me, but do follow uh, young uh, athletes who are, who are getting there. I think it's... Uh, they all have amazing stories and just is is just so interesting listening to them so try to find out when they have national championships you can subscribe also to sport.com okay. uh, that's a uh, an organism that uh, gives information about anything any sport like uh, it's a very good resource is that a uh, is that
1: a, a website some, or newsletter
0: so sport.com they have a newsletter and uh, the also have a website i'm not sure but you can uh definitely check them out it's for quebec and it's in french but uh it's definitely a very good resource if you're interested in the in non professional sport okay. uh they they cover all the olympic and paralympic sports so uh very interesting to follow young athletes and uh keep uh, keep yourself informed
1: perfect so we'll put a link for sport.com you said i'll put a link uh in the description as well yep. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's time for a call and your phone is going to ring in anytime soon, I yep. think. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.